uh, <clears throat> on Thursday in the parish house, I went over to the shelves that are on the right as you walk in. And I took off the shelf a binder with resources on how to have group conversations that nurture spiritual growth. The first page has tips to create deep connections and meaningful conversations. Later, there are tips for facilitating such a discussion. It says the group facilitators need basic facilitation skills but they don't have to be experts on the topics. If the topic is wonder, you do not have to be a transcendentalist. If the topic is simplicity, you do not have to be a minimalist. And if the topic is loss, you do not have to be a therapist. We offer deep connection and spiritual growth here, but we do not claim to be experts at healing psychological wounds. That is not our role. This binder says that while participants often report feeling better connected and happier in their lives, we do not do therapy. Professional therapy is readily available in the community, but our role is to offer connection, reflection, community, spiritual growth. When I do one-on-one -on -one counseling, it is similar. I offer presence, being with you on your journey. I ask reflection questions that help you to explore who you are deep down, who you're called to be. Spiritual presence, spiritual reflection, spiritual growth but I am not trained to process trauma the way that a therapist is. My wife, Tanya, is a therapist, and we talk about how our crafts overlap and how they don't. We both offer presence, being present with you, with loving attention and acceptance. But Tanya knows much more about how psychological trauma can affect the body and the brain. For example, she knows much more about how to resolve that which is unresolved in the memory and in the amygdala, if I got that right. Today our theme is a sensitive topic. It is a topic that might make you realize that you would like to make an appointment with a therapist. Something comes up for you today, I would be glad to sit with you and love you and witness you. I can handle your truth. And I might also notice if trauma-informed therapy is the way to go with a professional therapist. If anything comes up for you today, please email me and I'll call you as soon as I have a moment. Or call me if you already have my phone number. Uh, if you don't have my email address, you can reach me at reverend at uuccwc.org. Today's service is called, I've Never Told Anyone. Last year, someone made an appointment with me and told me something that was weighing them down. And I got the impression that nobody else in the congregation knew person was carrying this burden all by themselves, now shared with me. 
I knew that others in the congregation could relate to this person, but they were not ready to share. And this has happened several times now. We carry a burden, we keep it hidden, not knowing if it is safe to share. Some, some sermons are like a scene from, like a view from a scenic lookout, overlooking a broad vista of understanding. Some sermons are like a flashlight peering into the dark forest at night or, or gazing up at the stars. I hope you experience this sermon like a campfire. There's no pressure to come close, but just know that you are welcome. Like a campfire on a cool night, you can get close and warm up on your own schedule. We are not a support group like Alcoholics Anonymous. We don't have that structure or that expertise, although some of us do. Part of the power of a support group is that you can trust that the others get you. They can hold your experience with care and understanding that comes from shared experience. A church is different. We do have an AA group that meets here, but the church body as a whole is made up of people who have had their own experiences but not necessarily yours. If you're at the bottom of a pit, we cannot promise that we've been there and we know how to get out. But some of us can climb in with you. Some of us were raised in a culture of going it alone. Don't tell your neighbor about your problems. They might think less of you, simply not want the trouble of it. You have to keep up appearances. Be careful of your reputation. Be careful of your dignity as judged by others. Don't look back at what happened to you. In the movie Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon is ashamed that as a child he was abused by his father. He finally meets someone he can trust with that truth but for years he kept it to himself. Somehow being hurt became something to hide. The showing, this keeping things hidden can show up in the smallest ways, keeping a mask on. Not just hiding your big problems, but also your small ones. When I was a kid, we went to the ocean for a swim at a time of year when you should not go to the ocean for a swim. We ran into the water with gusto, we tumbled, we fully submerged, and our heads sprang out with big smiles, calling out, it's refreshing. <laughs> it's, it's invigorating, yeah. We laughed at the absurdity of it, but we simply could not acknowledge that it is frickin' cold. <laughs> we are very uncomfortable. So we masked our feelings with, with, the, with the power of positive thinking. And there is some truth that it works on that day at the beach. We had fun, but masking our feelings came at a cost. When I was 18 years old, 
I went with my girlfriend to the movies to watch Prince of Tides, starring Barbara Streisand and Nick Nolte. Has anyone seen that movie? Quite a few of us, yeah, yeah. So it's about a family that experienced trauma, both ongoing trauma and one traumatic event in particular. And after that main event, the kid's mother says, we will never speak of this moment again. If we don't think about it, it never happened. She says to her daughter, stop crying, Savannah. I mean it, pull yourself together. Think of something pretty. Think of a romantic ride down the Mississippi. The music playing, the wine flowing, the breeze cool on your face. That evening, they sit around the dinner table, pretending that all is normal. Well, one of the boys, Tom, having to pretend does more damage than the actual event. Years later, his twin sister, Savannah, has a psychotic breakdown. All she can do is mumble words and phrases that seem jumbled and incoherent. She has large gaps in her memory of childhood. Her psychiatrist contacts her twin brother, Tom, to learn the stories of her childhood to help her heal. Tom is willing to meet the psychiatrist, but he cannot give a straight answer to her questions. He's defensive, argumentative. He uses humor to deflect from the psychiatrist's questions. Irony comes easily to him, exaggeration, deflection, the psychiatrist says, I need straight answers from you, Tom, to help your sister. But he cannot do it. The truth is buried under layers of defense, topped off with biting humor. But Tom understands that the truth of their childhood is needed to help Savannah, so he finds a safe way to begin. Tom tells of a ritual that he and his siblings had when they were kids. When their parents fought, the kids would run out of the house, run to the end of the dock, plunge into the river, and meet underwater. Suspended in water with sunlight trickling down, holding their breath, the three siblings hold hands in a circle and look at each other and experience the peace of separation from their world. They stay down there until one of them taps and they come up. So this much, Tom is able to tell his sister's psychiatrist. The psychiatrist insists on being called by her last name, Dr. Lowenstein. Her professional distance and her maturity give Tom space to unbottle himself over the course of weeks. Their sessions create an intimacy that he was not expecting and he was not ready for. He says, before I met you, I was in a deep sleep, and I just realized. Lowenstein says to Tom, you've really learned how to cover up your pain. You kept it locked up for so long. Just let it go. Just let it go. Much to my surprise, when this movie ended and the credits started rolling, 
I started bawling. We sat there until we were the only ones left in the theater, and my girlfriend cradled me, and I just bawled like I've never bawled before. And when it seemed like we should really leave, we got up and we walked out of the theater through the foyer with plenty of people still milling about, me with tears still flowing from big, red, puffy eyes. There was no traumatic moment in my childhood, but there was this ongoing experience of keeping my feelings to myself. In school, I was terrified of attention. Any attention I got from other students would probably be the bad kind of attention. So I bottled up my thoughts and my feelings. I got chest pains as a kid from bottling it up. And this movie, Prince of Tides, just popped open the lid. And I bawled until I was done bawling. And then I just got on with my life. Woke up the next day, I had breakfast as usual, and went on with it. And I don't think we talked about it again. And I don't think I thought about it again for years. It was another three years before I made a practice of making room for my own feelings. Ten more years after that, until I started sharing those feelings with others. It was a long, long process for me. I'm not suggesting that there will be a sudden shift for you. My hope is that you experience this sermon as an invitation. Just a first step. Perhaps an acknowledgement is enough today, an acknowledgement in the body of this church that some of us, some of us of things we have never shared with anyone. Whatever happened to you, we love you. If some in society shame you for what happens, know that we do not shame you. Physical, physical or sexual abuse, mental health, addiction, if you agree with me that there is no shame in those things, I'd love to hear you repeat after me. Um, I'd love you to hear you say, no shame. No shame. All right. And maybe you did something, so whatever you did, we love you. If you hurt somebody or cheated somebody, if you went far outside your own moral code, Whatever you did, I love you unconditionally and fully, right here and now. Nobody is destined for eternity in hell for something they did. Some of us were taught that when we were kids. It's not true. This is the founding belief of universalism. If you agree with me that no one is destined, destined for hell, I'd love to hear you say, no hell. No, no hell! <laughs> If you have the good fortune to not have anything buried from your past, you can support others by being curious and compassionate. Not by expecting or pressuring someone to open up to you, but by being a campfire that others feel safe gathering around. Also recognize that whatever happened to your neighbor could have happened to you. Whatever your neighbor did, you too might have done. 
think we've all got it within us. I'm going to go over to the joys and sorrows book. Every week, we put a stone in the bowl of water for all of the joys and concerns that remain unspoken. Some of them remain unspoken in our hearts that we carry with us every day. Some of them remain unspoken because they are buried, or we think they're buried. Even unspoken, we can hold each other's experiences. I'm going to put in one more stone uh, representing everything that, that we're holding together in this room. Even unspoken, we can hold each other's full experiences. And I wish for you that you have one or two or more people in your life that you trust, that you can reveal yourself to. And if I can help in any way, I would be glad to. You are not that thing that happened to you or that thing that you did. You have inherent worth and dignity, and we love you.